Here's what's going to happen. We're going to be hitting discipleship for four more weeks. You're like, yeah, come on. Yeah. Got to help me out a little bit. And, uh, but it's going to be good because I told you this is not just a nice message. This is our mission. Mission, 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 mission. If we don't get this failure, all right? Who says, Ron? The Bible, Jesus, failure. We got to get this down pat. How many of you know we are disciples? Who make disciples? We are disciples? Who make disciples? Sometimes we don't do that real well. Sometimes we fail on the our disciples part. Sometimes we really fail on the make disciples part. Who is a disciple? Turn to your neighbor and say, you are, all right? Just tell them. Now, here's a tricky question. Everybody pay close attention. Who's a disciple maker? Turn to your neighbor. Tell them. They need to hear it. They need to hear it. What is a disciple? We gave you three. This is so simple. It's so good. What is a disciple? Disciples follow Jesus. This is huge. It means you're no longer in control of your life because your life is not your life. And if you're following, that means somebody else is leading, and it's not you. I told this story before, but it bears remembering when Mary and I first were in our early stages of marriage. I think we were at anniversary number five or something like that. It was early. But we went on a little getaway together, and I thought it would be so romantic to get this bicycle built for two. I jumped in the front. She jumped on the back. Of course, her only role is to hold the handlebars and pedal. I was the front guy, I'm steering. Not a good experience, all right? <laughs> I was looking for a romantic getaway. We were fighting over where we were turning, whether the bike was going to fall over. I admit, I had, never, I had never been on a bike for two. I wasn't the best, but I wanted her to trust me and follow my leadership and support me and believe in me. And instead, she freaked out the whole way. I'm feeling all this, you know. Anyway, we, ne- we haven't done that since. We've moved on to b- bigger and better things. But when you get saved, you're on a bicycle built for two. And you aren't leading. He's leading. This is really big. I want to drive this home. If Jesus isn't leading, you're not born again. If you're still in charge of now. Those tears are what some of you should be going through. And, ah, conviction, ah, ah, pastor, is that true? Yes, it's true. What it means to be a Christian, a believer, a born-again person is you give up the control of your life. Jesus doesn't exist to bless you. You exist to figure out who you are, what he's done for you, and to submit to his mission so you can be part of a family on mission. Now, how many of you know he blesses us along the way because he's an amazing dad? You with me? But you're not in charge, which led to the second point. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you, which means you're going to be changed. I'm going to be changed. And I told you that's, that's code for the Holy Spirit's job is to kill you. Not physically. He's there to kill the old flesh. And so I challenged you, and this, this is so important. Like if you've been a believer for 10 years, and you still got the same you know what going on in your life. I was going to share something I would share at a men's meeting, but I realized we're not at a men's meeting. <laughs> you got the same stuff going on in your life, and you've not changed a bit. How many of you know you really got to question whether you're following Jesus? Because Jesus is out to change you. 
In fact, that's the purpose that we set of redemption, that we would be conformed to the image of the Son. Now, please, I'm not getting hard on anybody. I'm not saying that we don't have struggles. I'm not saying we don't have deeply entrenched things in our life. Pastor Aaron hit the nail on the head. We've got to die to our flesh daily, that nasty flesh. But I am saying this. If you're a follower of Jesus, the good news is you're going to be more beautiful, more glorious year after year after year because Jesus is working in us to change us. Your wife's going to love you more. Your kids are going to love you more. Your dog's going to be excited when you come home. Everybody's going to be excited because we're being changed. But check this out. So we follow Jesus. We're being changed. And then we said, he said, I'm going to make you fishers a minute. I'm going to change the whole mission that you're on. You used to fish for fish, no longer. Now you're fishing for people. The whole purpose of this is is not that we don't all have various callings in our life. We do. Some people are called to all different kinds of things, and I want you to be excellent in the marketplace, and I want you to, you know, God's all for that. But here's the deal. We're not just being excellent for excellence's sake, or we're not just trying to climb the corporate ladder. How many of you know you have a whole different mission? You do what you do, where you do it, so that you can impact people for Jesus, so you can love people, so that you can lead people to Christ, so that you can be a part of Jesus' mission. And I shared, you know, last week when Apostle was sharing, he said this, the church needs to know what its vision is, right? Well, I want to make sure you know our vision. When we talk about being a disciple, making a disciple, what that really is in our language is this, growing people, multiplying leaders. If you're going to be part of Living Stones, here's our desire for you. We want you to grow like crazy. We want this to be a spiritual greenhouse. But we also want you not to keep it to yourself. We want you to find ways to serve, find ways to lead, find ways to love, find ways to give it away. Does that make sense? So we're going to grow people. We're going to multiply leaders. That's what we do. We're going to love people, mend people, train people, send people. Say that with me. Love them, mend them, train them, send them. Love them, mend them, train them, send them. Now, that's not nice little neat compartments. That happens all the time in all of our lives. But we want to get healed, mended. We want to come to know Jesus first. We want to get mended. We want to get trained. And then we want to be able to be sent, meaning we want to be able to go do this stuff, whatever God's called us to do. If you look at our logo on the screen, some of you might be new there, logo on the stage, you notice there's four pillars. Those four pillars represent our vision, what we're called to do. We're called to impact individuals. We're called to impact marriages and families. We're called to impact our outside community, and we're called to reach the unreached nations of the world. How many of you know that that requires disciples who make disciples? That requires growing people who are multiplying leaders. Uh, and that's, that's, that's what we're committed to doing. So if you come to Living Stones, maybe you're new here. You're like, man, what's this church all about? Man, I just gave you the new believers class, right? Or new uh, starting point class right there. That's, that's our mission. That's mission-centric. That's who we are. That's why we're here. That's why all you all are here. And so we have to figure out where we are in the process. But I just, I laid that foundation because if you don't buy into what I just said, this message is going to be irrelevant to you. You're going to be like, oh, well, I don't know if I'm really interested in that. No, if I, if I laid the foundation well, you should be going, please tell me, Pastor, how I can do this. Because we're talking this morning about seven qualities of a disciple maker. Seven qualities of a disciple maker. I'm going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So get your Bibles open if you have them. Or turn your phone on and go to your Bible app, whatever, whatever you like to do. But follow along with me because we're going to be right out of the, the scripture today. First Thessalonians chapter 2, first 13 verses there. And let me say this too. I think we need to maybe change our language in America. If you want to start getting people's attention, don't tell people you're a Christian. Because Christian is on the same plane as, oh, you're a Christian, yeah, I'm a Buddhist, uh, I'm an agnostic, I'm an atheist, I'm a Muslim, I'm a, I'm a whatever. You know, the Bible only uses the word Christian three times in the whole Bible. You only find the word three times. Does anybody know how many times you find the word disciple in the Bible? 
269. How many of you know just by emphasis, we should really start referring to ourselves as disciples of Jesus Christ? Oh, who are you? I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a lover of Christ. I'm somebody who's given my life to Christ. I'm after him. That's what I'm, I'm a... I'm a follower. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. 269 to 3. How many of you know we might want to pay attention to that? Not that, I, not that using the word Christian is wrong. That's okay. But look at what Paul says here. And I'm going to give you, I want to break this down into seven uh, key principles. For if, you're, if you're sitting here today and you're going, how, how do you do that, Pastor? I want to make disciples. How do you do that? We're shifting gear here. We're moving from kind of a theological, foundational aspect of disciples, disciple makers. What is it? To moving into the practical, right? So this is going to be very, very practical today. First point I want to highlight is if you're a disciple maker, you're going to be committed to courageously sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Follow along with me here in the first four verses. Paul says, you yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. So you can see we're not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For Paul says, we speak as messengers who are approved by God and entrusted with the good news. I want you to notice the first three words there on the screen. You yourselves know. It's interesting when you read through this first uh, 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 first verses here in chapter 2, there's six different times Paul, Paul refers to this phrase, you knew or you know. Verse 1, verse 2, verse 5, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11. He uses the, the same phrase or similar phrase over and over again. What, what are we trying to emphasize here? Here's the point. Paul's saying the stuff that I'm telling you, you already know. And the reason you know it is because I already lived it. I already have been among you. I've been, you, you know my lifestyle. You know, you know the way I roll. You know that what I'm telling you is true because you've seen me in action. How many of you know it's so important before we're preaching the gospel that we're living the gospel? People receive the gospel a whole lot better when they've seen you and you can say to somebody, you know my generosity, you know my kindness, you know my selflessness, you know, you know, you know, because people have witnessed it. Paul says, you know that our first visit with you was not a failure. What's he talking about there? His first visit was a visit that was attended with all kinds of persecution. In fact, look at the language that Paul uses here. He says, you know how badly we were treated, how much we suffered. You know that in spite of great opposition, we preach the good news boldly. In other words, sometimes this mission will get us into trouble. Can any of you say amen to that? Sometimes telling the truth, sometimes sharing the good news, it's not always received by people as good news. And Paul understood that. He said it would be easy to look at our trip here and view it as a failure, but it's not a failure. And I want to encourage you, anytime we're identifying with Jesus, anytime we're living out the gospel, anytime we're sharing the good news to people, don't always get hung up on what the response of those people are at that particular time. How many of you know we can't lose? Our gospel is not a failure. Our gospel is a winning gospel. Our king is a winning king. We have to be, we have to be uh, uh, locked into the fact that whenever we open our mouths for Jesus Christ, it's a win. Amen? But I want you to get this too. We're going to be talking about the cost of discipleship in a little bit and the cost of non-discipleship. But I just want to remind us that Paul knew that going into these towns and preaching the gospel, he was going to be messing with things. You remember when he went into Ephesus, uh, uh, the problem there was all these idols, and he started preaching about serving God and God alone and putting away with your idols, and it cut cut into the market there, cut into the business, and a great riot broke out. In fact, wherever Paul went, it was either revival or riot breaking out. 
And I want to encourage you, we always pray for revival, but sometimes revival comes after the riot. And, and I also want to say this. Sometimes we think we're gung-ho disciples of Jesus, but how many of you know there's nothing like fire to prove it? Because it's really easy to be all, woo, on Sunday morning, but when it all hits the fan on Monday, uh, or you have a choice to make, y'all know what I'm talking about, that's where we figure out how serious we are about this, this thing called discipleship. And I'm just telling you this, in case you haven't figured it out yet, it takes boldness and courage to stand up for Jesus Christ. Boldness and courage. I remember back when I was just a young buck in high school, 16 years old, Lake Central High School, freshly baptized in the Holy Spirit. I remember praying with my parents. I was nervous. I was like, I want to be a witness. I want to I be a bold witness for Jesus. And my mom and dad and sister and I, we gathered around. We prayed before we went off to school. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, you've asked me for boldness, now act like it. Sometimes we wait for this supernatural, and you know what? The supernatural comes after you open your mouth, not before. And I remember I was in a class, it was a speech class, and the first assignment was to get up and introduce yourself to the class. It was very simple, basic, public speaking. And the Lord just said, this is your chance, do it. And I got up there in front of my class and my teacher and looked out at the audience freaking out. And I started showing, I'm Ron Johnson and I play football and I do this and I do that. And then I knew it was my moment of truth. And I got to the end of my little public introductory speech and this is what I said. But what I want you all to know about me more than anything is that I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. And, and I said something like that and then I quickly went to my seat. <laughs> um, what happened was everybody in class started clapping. And then the next girl got up, little Melissa. She's just a little pipsqueak. She had a little cute squeaky voice. Little Melissa walked right up there. Well, I'm Melissa. And the first thing out of her mouth, and I love Jesus too. And I just sat there going, no way. (laughs) And what I realized was my biggest enemy was my own fear and insecurity. And how many of you know, everybody in our culture today is being really bold. I mean, like in your face bold. Maybe it's time that we started emulating what the enemy's doing for wickedness. Maybe it's time we started being that way for righteousness. Amen? You're going to have to be, I'm going to have to be courageous when it comes to sharing the gospel. But let me talk a little bit about motives because look at the second point. If we're going to be disciple makers, we've got to have pure motives. Let's talk about pure motives for a moment. Paul said our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts he says, never once do we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. There's that phrase again, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. Can I just tell you this? One reason I think the Lord wants us to get in the disciple-making mode, in other words, take what you've received and start implementing it, blessing other people with it, is because here's what happens. When you start loving people and getting involved in people's lives, there's nothing like people to expose your true motives. (laughs) I could go around. You guys have been loving people. I could go around here and point out faces of people that have been loving people for a long time here at Living Stone. Let me just tell you something. If you think the ministry is glamorous, you are nuts. (laughs) If you think... Having a title in front of you that empowers you to somehow love and be responsible for people 
is awesome, you're nuts. Because here's the truth. Loving people and trying to love people with a pure heart will absolutely expose your motives. Because here's what happens. What happens the first time you get rejected? What happens the first time what you said, you weren't meaning to offend anybody, but you're just sharing from the scriptures and someone got offended by what the Bible says? What, what happens and all of a sudden people don't like you? What happens when you're good on flattery? And I just keep telling Lynn how wonderful she is, how wonderful she is, how wonderful she is, but my motive is just to get her to like me. I'm not being real with her, although she is wonderful, but I'm not doing that. I, I'm, I'm flattering people. How many of you know in ministry when we flatter people for money or we tell people what they want to hear for money? The Bible says you're unqualified to be a disciple maker because you can't do anything out of greed. You can't do anything because you just want everybody to love you. I used the phrase, please don't anybody get offended, but I used the phrase before here, you do not want a pulpit prostitute. You come to church, you give the pastor what he wants, the pastor tells you what you want to hear. That's called prostitution. In disciple making, we're not making prostitutes, we're making followers of Jesus. And so what happens is, your heart will constantly be exposed to the motivation. And I'll just tell you this, when I whine to the Lord, I know none of you ever whine to Jesus, do you? You know, Jesus, how come those people are treating me this way? How come I'm being misunderstood? How many of you know as soon as you ever get interviewed for anything righteous in the public, I guarantee you, the newspapers have an anointing for slander and confusion. Sometimes I'd read the newspaper and I'd go, what? I didn't say that. I didn't say anything close to that. And I'm like, Lord, this isn't fair. And I just hear the Lord giggling in the background. Because here's what he tells you. Life's not fair. Lord, I'm being misunderstood. So was I. Oh, yeah, good point. Lord, this doesn't feel good. Neither did the cross. Oh, yeah, you got me on that one. Uh, Lord, 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 Lord. And, and here's, what, here's what he always says. Are you doing this for any reason other than your love for me? And then this is when he really wants to get you. Those people that you're so mad at that hurt you or left or did this or that, they're my sheep, not yours. Good point. That was another good one. And you know why he keeps telling, telling us all these things? Because he wants to make sure our heart motivation is right. So check this out. I love what I do here. I love all y'all most of the time. <laughs> but if I do anything out of a pure love for Jesus and a desire to bless his people, then I'm an idolater, and I've, dis I've disqualified myself from my calling. And guess what? If you're doing it for any other reason, you're an idolater, and you've disqualified yourself. We're to love Jesus and love people, and that's, that's where it is. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And let me just tell you something else that verse said. Go back to the, go back to the very top of that passage, if you would, Megan, because it's talking about judging. Our purpose is clear. Please God. Amen? He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Can I just help some of us out here? This, I learned this lesson the hard way. I can never judge the motives of Brent's heart. Well, I know why he did that. He just did that because. And how many of you know, usually when we're doing that, it's not edifying. 
He just, I know why he did that. He did that because he loves God with all of it. No, that's not what we're saying. I know why he did that. And whatever's coming out next, I guarantee you, it's from the pit of hell. So just, God alone examines the motives of people's hearts. So you know what? Let God do his business. Our job is just to love people. Wasn't that good? Apostle Tesla last Sunday shared that Jesus called Judas friend, even though he knew Judas was going to stick it to him. Because Jesus' job was to love. The Father's job is to sort out Judas, all right? Our job is to love. Our job is not to second-guess the motives of anybody in this room. Our job is to love people. Let God deal with his servants. Ed's a servant of the Lord. I don't have to micromanage Ed's life. God will take care of Ed. God will love Ed. God will father Ed. God will discipline Ed when he needs to be disciplined. My job is to stay alongside Ed and be his biggest cheerleader all through his life. Are you with me? So... Let's let the Lord sort out our motives. He will have a great way of exposing what's in our hearts. And let's make sure the motivation for loving people and for following Jesus is pure. We don't have any agendas, all right? Let me go quickly here. Number three, if you're going to be a good disciple maker, you need to do it with motherly affection. And all the men said, hallelujah. All right, motherly affection. Some of you guys are going, what in the world is motherly affection? I'm going to help you out. How many of you know Jesus was tough? and tender. He was tough, and he was tender. We need to learn how to love people with motherly affection, which means sometimes a soft word is better than a hard word. Sometimes a question is better than a direct statement. Sometimes, how's this? Patience is always better than anger. How about a hug is better than a chokehold. I'm just trying to help some of you out. My wife, as the mother of the two, pair, the mother figure, she has an amazing way of getting to the depth of what's going on in my kids' hearts. I, on the other hand, have an amazing way of recognizing behavior. So she, I recognize behavior, but she goes to the heart and she's able, because she's a mother, to get the things through tenderness and kindness and nurturing that would not come out any other way. Are you with me? So guys, I'm helping us out. I, I'm saying all of us. Harshness, if you're a disciple maker, never acceptable. Anger, rah, flesh, yeah. spiritual abuse, rah. No, no, none of that. Bad motives, no, no. How about this? Tenderness, long-suffering, patience, kind words. Listen to the way the Apostle Paul talks. This is amazing. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my dear, my dear, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. He says, I love you, and I long to see you. This is a man talking to men and women in the church. I long to see you, dear friends. For you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Isn't that beautiful? I think we need to do a lot more. I love you. I'm proud of you. I believe in you. Looking forward to being with you. Uh, that kind of language is motherly in its nature, but it's also masculine when it's under the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to have a loving affection for God's people that is motherly in nature. All right? Well, let's look at the next point here. I'm going to hit it quick. Number four. 
If we're going to be a disciple maker, we've got to share our lives with each other, not just a message with each other. Look what Paul said in verse 8. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our lives, our own lives rather, too. This is important. Some churches you go to, discipleship is a course. We're going to have a discipleship class. What that means is you all come up, and we'll maybe teach from the Bible or book, and it's all content-based, and it's head knowledge. And how many of you know the discipleship process is part of that? We need to teach the Bible. We need to have Bible studies. We need to be rooted in the Bible. Amen, amen, amen. But listen, the Bible taught from the pulpit does not lead to maximal life transformation. Have you figured that out? In fact, I'm going to expose all of us. If I went to your house at 3 o'clock today, and I said, Rachel, what was my sermon on? I'll give her, well, I'm going to be nice to Rachel. I'll give her a 50-50 shot. She might remember something I said in this message. Not because she's a bad listener. Here's why. Because what I'm doing now does not lead to maximum life transformation. On the other hand, when these guys open up their home, and they love people, and they are in the Scriptures, but they're living the Scriptures, and they're opening their heart to people, and they're there when people are struggling, they're there when people are celebrating, they're there in the good times, they're there in the bad times, they're helping people through, they're making phone calls, they're texting, they're connected to people. I don't even know that will change people more than standing behind this and talking to you will ever change you. This is the truth. In all my years of youth ministry, and man, I, I preached some good sermons. I'm just telling you. I got myself fired up. Whenever I would talk to teenagers 20 years later, after the youth group, you know what they would remember? Not a one of my messages. Except I did use a scab illustration one time. They love scabs. I don't know what it is about scabs. They did remember that. They couldn't remember what point I made to it, but they remembered the scab. But you know what they remembered? They remembered the road trips. When we spent 12 hours in a van together, and we laughed, and we ate, and we had goofy times together, that's what they remembered. They remembered what we did outside of the building. And I just want to encourage why, why are we encouraging you to get into life groups? Because good things happen when you're in someone's house. Funny things happen when you're in someone's house. Dogs are there. Dogs do stupid things. And kids are there. And kids do stupid things. And people are there. And, well, you know what I'm saying, all right? Um, so the point is, we got to get out of the box. And I can challenge you, and we can teach you the Word of God, but the real stuff happens when we go out those doors. And we got to be people that are willing to invest our lives and share our lives. Let me quickly go on. Number five, we've got to be willing to do whatever it takes. Paul says, don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preach God's good news to you. I'm looking at my man David Walton out here. I remember when David was working at the steel mill, many times working the, the last shift, and then he would wake up, and then he would work his daytime job, which was his own business he was getting off the ground. And I can't tell you how many times David would come to lead worship after doing the night shift. So our morning service was his midnight service, if you know what I'm saying. And what I love about that, that character is here's what it says. I'm doing whatever it takes to express and to use my gifting to serve God's people. And I have a passion for Jesus, and I have a passion for worship. And if that means I'm coming off of a double or I'm whatever, guess what? I'm going to be at my post, and I'm going to trust that the anointing of God is going to kick in, and I'm going to be at my post doing what God's called me to do to be a blessing to God's people. That, that's what it takes. 
And, uh, and if you're going to be a disciple maker, I'm just telling you, there's times you're like, oh, I'm dragging. I've had a rough week. They're coming in 30 minutes to my house. I want to take a nap. But this little voice says, no, we're not going to take a nap. We're going to make coffee. We're going to run the vacuum cleaner. Yeah! Because we're going to do whatever it takes to love people. And we're going to do whatever it takes to adjust our lives so that there's room for Jesus to do his thing through us. This makes sense? This is, can I just tell you something? Discipling people is not convenient. It's not easy. It's not a cakewalk. But it's where you grow the most. I want to give you three words together, all right? And I want you to say them with me. Intentional. Intentional. Relational. Relational. Discipleship. Discipleship. Intentional. Intentional. Relational. Discipleship. If you say, what's Living Stones about? Well, there's three words we're about. What does that mean? It means we're being intentional about making room to grow people. It means we're doing it relationally, not through online courses or something like that, like with a computer. No, we're going to actually get with people, and then we're going to disciple them, teach them to obey all things, right? That's what, that's what Matthew 28 says. Intentional, relational, discipleship. That, that needs to be our motto. All right, moving quickly along, we, we highlighted the women. Let's highlight the men right now, because if you're going to be a disciple maker, you've got to do it with fatherly firmness. Look at verse 10 quickly. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know, there's that phrase again, and you know. How do they know? Because Paul was living it. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, we encouraged you, and we urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Now, this is important. This is why we need the body of Christ. This is why if you're a single mom out here, this is why you need the body of Christ and men in the body of Christ. Moms are really wonderful when kids are little. They nurture them. They love them. They're patient. They change diapers. They feed. They do all that stuff. Dad should be doing that too, by the way, but moms are really great at that. There comes a point, though, when dad steps in, especially with sons, because it takes a man to model and make a man. It takes a father to call forth a son's immaturity and selfishness and to call him out into manhood and to model what that looks like. So that means, sometimes it means like this, get up, I'm tired, I don't care, we have work to do, you have a job to do, get a job. I mean, there's all kinds of cool things, (laughs) there's all kinds of cool things dads say. Why do dads say all these cool things that their kids don't want to hear? Because it takes fatherly challenge to bring an immature disciple into full-blown maturity. You know, sometimes you just need to say, knock it off. This doesn't sound like good counseling, but stop it. Why are you acting that way? Why are you treating your wife that way? Why is it still all about you? Why are you still selfish? Why are you still got an attitude? How come you still got an anger problem? You know, sometimes a man being in the face of another man and saying, stop it, is exactly what most men mean. In fact, I was counseling a woman this week. I said, your man will never change until you get him in the presence of other men who will call out his selfishness and immaturity. Because you're going to keep serving and loving and being like Jesus, and he's going to keep being a selfish pig. That's Greek. Because of Greek... (laughs) It was the amplified, it was the amplified version. 
You're going to keep living in your own self-centered little world while you destroy your family. But if there's men of God in your life, they'll say, stop it. Quit acting that way. Let me show you how this is done. Come on, raise your game. Get a vision. There needs to be some challenge. And I just want to show you, this is what Jesus did. Jesus loved like a mother. What does that mean? He opened his heart. He invited people close. And then you know what he did? He challenged like a father. I mean, I remember when he just got done singing Peter's praises, he said, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. God revealed this to you. This is awesome. You, you nailed it, buddy. Great job. And then two verses later, get behind me, devil. One was the mother. One was the father. He said, you're not working. Jesus said, you're not working for me. You're working against me. What do we do in discipleship? We love people. We do life with them. We let them into our lives. There's no question that they know that we love them. But then how about this? We're able to give people the final 10%. Isn't that good? The final 10%. You'll never grow if you stay in your comfort zone. So if you're going to be a disciple maker, number one, if you're a disciple, you need to have some people in your life that will tell you the truth. Because they love you. And then you need to learn to nicely tell the truth to other people. You don't have to hurt people when you tell them the truth. We speak the truth in love. But we need to tell people the truth. And so you got to be father. Let me go to the last slide. We're going to end right here. We have to have full confidence in God and in his word. Let's go to the final scripture up there. This, this should encourage us. Therefore, never stop, never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God which, of course, it is. And it says, and this word continues to work in you who believe. Uh, I think the Living Bible says something like this, that when we believe the word of God, it produces results in us. Here's what I want to encourage you. The reason that we use the word of God as the centerpiece of what we're trying to do is that it is the word of God. There are some people today, and you've maybe heard people like this, there's people in our culture today Um, they say, well, you know, I'm glad that you read the Bible. That's great. I'm glad it works for you. But, you know, uh, I don't believe it. Or don't try to impose what the Bible says upon me because I don't believe it. Um, Let me just tell you something. The Bible is the word of God, and it's true whether you and I believe it or not. God doesn't care. God just speaks. And the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So I just, want to, I, I just want to pop everybody's relativistic, pluralistic bubbles in our culture today. When we go out and say marriage is between a man and a woman, that's not my private opinion. Yeah. Thus saith the Lord. Well, I'm not a Christian. God, God doesn't care. It does, I mean, he does care. But he doesn't care that you don't believe his word because his word is still true whether you believe it or not. When God declares something, our job is to embrace it and submit to it. And here's what Paul said. You all need to be commended because when we came, we spoke not the, the mere words of men. We spoke the word of the Lord. And you received it, and it's producing fruit in your life. Th- this is where our confidence needs to lie. If you guys will open your hearts, and you'll love people, and you'll... Who, who's the first group of people we should be working on? How about our family? Close friends? Here's what we should be able to say. You know, hey, you guys know how I roll at work, right? If Brian's, Brian's surrounded by a bunch of guys at work, he should be able to say, you know how I live. You know how I've lived among you. That should, that, that should build credibility, right? Because people are watching us. And then we're able to share the word of the Lord. Every time we speak the word of the Lord, God's word has its own power base. The Holy Spirit attaches to the word and produces. 
How many of you know when you're, when you're code bluing at the hospital, Lauren, you, you, all you nurses and medical people, you, what do you get? Do you get the defibrillator, all right? You know what I'm talking about. Don't try to spell it. It's tough. All right, defibrillator. What is a defibrillator? It's two pads. When somebody's code blue, you take those two pads and you put them on their chest, right? Electricity shoots through them. Imagine the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. When you speak the Word under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and Nick's spiritually dead, right there. All right, the Word and the Spirit, right there. Let's do that again. This is fun. All right. All right. <laughs> High five on that one. All right. So the Word and the Spirit, they always produce fruit. And it doesn't matter what it's looking like. So, you, man, I witnessed that guy at work. Boy, did he get angry. Yeah, because it's working. If you just got electrocuted, you wouldn't be happy either, all right? He just got electrocuted. Let the Word have its for, full force. Let the Word have its way. Let the Sit under the Word. Listen to the Word. You eat the Word. Because God's Word is working on us. And Paul said, here's my confidence as a disciple maker. If I will stay true to the word, and if I'll minister the word, and I'll encourage you with the word, I will not fail in this calling. Because I'm going to love you like a mother. I'm going to challenge you like a father. I'm going to live with pure motives. I am going to be committed to do whatever it takes to see you grow and become a disciple maker yourself. That's the way we roll. And if we do that, and we're confident in the word of God and in the spirit of God, the results happen. You know, I had, I'm sitting over by my wonderful aunt, and she was commenting on, Uh, One of the folks in our service this morning, and she said this, she said, I have seen him grow so much. That should be the testimony of everybody that sits under the word of God. We're not the same people we were. We're not the same people we're going to be. How do you know we're going to get gooder and gooder and gooder around here, all right? That's the promise of God. And here's what I want you to see. Can you dream with me about what a disciple-making church would look like if we really took this seriously, if we were intentional, relational, and we all were about the process of being discipled and making disciples. You know, one of our friends came up last Sunday and said, I need an older man to mentor me and to teach me how to be a godly husband and how to be a godly father. It was music to my ears. Because isn't that the question we all should be asking? Help me, help me. I've never done this before. I never had a godly father. No one ever discipled me. How, Pastor, how do, you, how do you study the Bible? How do you pray? How do you, how do you, how do you? That's called discipleship. If we're never taught these things, how do you tie a tie? My dad taught me how to tie a tie. But you know what? We have a young man across the street that he didn't get that lesson from his father. And every time he has to go to a dressy event, guess what? He comes over to our house to get his tie tied. Because he needs someone to disciple him in tie-tying. Are you with me? Everything in the kingdom we learn. How, how do you be a godly parent? Find, find godly parents who raise kids and ask them lots of questions and, and listen to them and pursue them. But here's the deal. In the fall, we're going to be un- unveiling uh, a very exciting discipling model for all y'all. All right? It's for all of us to take part in. It's going to be really cool, and it's going to do just that to help you go from one level to the next in the Lord and then teach you how to do the same thing as somebody else. It's going it's to be awesome. I can't wait. It's going to be like we preached it, now we're doing it. You guys with me? Bob, are you happy with me this morning? All right, I'm just making sure. <laughs> you have that look like I'm, I'm processing all this, Pastor. That's, that, that's the look right there. Are you processing? All right, good. I'm just making sure. Is everybody still happy? Yeah. All right, here's the deal. 
we're going to have prayer here for anybody that needs prayer. Our ministry team will be up here. If you don't know Jesus, today would be an awesome day to submit your life to Christ. It's also our time for any of you that are new. We'd love to connect with you. My office is right over there. I'm going to head there right now. In fact, Pastor Aaron, are you still in here? Jason, come up here. You're going to close in prayer this morning. Give Jason a hand. Come on. I'm going to have, a, I'm going to have you close in prayer. And, uh, and I'm going to run over to my office and guard the cookies uh, for waiting for all of you guys to come in. But go ahead and close the prayer. Dear Lord, thank you so much for just the word that was uh, preached over us tonight, God, or today. Um, Lord, I pray Lord, that you just allow every one of us just to have a spark of intentionality throughout this week, God, Lord, to have us have eyes to, eyes to see, God, ears to hear. Um, be on the lookout for the relationships that are in our lives, Lord, that would allow us to either be discipled or be a uh, discipler, God. So, God, let us all this, let us just take this all for, or to our heart, God, and let us be uh, intentional about what we do throughout this week, God, just to give you glory, God, ultimately, God, with our lives, with our finances, God, with our relationships, with our marriages, God. Uh, we thank you so much for the opportunity just to hear uh, what Pastor Ron has prepared, God, and just allow us just to live it, God. Uh, in your name I pray, amen.